Switching to a Monday-Thursday schedule for the show. I bumped the Sunday episodes to Monday, so I figured I would push back that Wednesday episode per week at day two to break things up. So as of today, Thursday, 86 days until college football returns on Saturday, August 29th. Notre Dame Navy in Ireland was supposed to be among those seven games in week zero on Saturday, August 29th. In case you did miss that, announced earlier this week, That game, which was supposed to be the only international game of the season, the first game in Ireland in a few years, that will be played in Annapolis instead sometime on Labor Day weekend, which is week one for most FBS teams. And so far, that's the only major scheduling change we've seen over these three months of speculation. But at this point, it seemed like a formality. I remember I was listening to a podcast. It was, I think, the first or second week of May. It's the ESPN College Football Podcast, the one with Herb Street and those guys. And Kevin Nagandi was interviewing Heather Dinich, who said she was doing an interview with a radio show in Ireland right around that time. Again, first week of May or so. And they flipped around and asked her, what if Ireland is the one that doesn't want this game? What if Notre Dame and Navy are still comfortable going over there, which is obviously pure speculation, and seemed unlikely and still seems unlikely, but it's an interesting question. If that side of Ireland actually doesn't want that game, not the college football-obsessed side of Notre Dame and Navy. Last week, I, I mentioned in my opening rant about Nebraska and how we evaluate expectations and whatnot, looking over their schedule again, the Athlon Preview Magazine. Nebraska well outside their t- top 25 this year, number 37 And I have Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports on the show today to talk about those rankings. And Stephen, like Athlon does every year, four-year preseason rankings, you and your team, you're not power ranking these teams for the preseason. It's very much more predictive. You're ranking these teams where you believe they will finish entering bowl season, entering the college football playoff. Uh, For example, I think on your Cover 2 podcast, you and Braden discussed that Oklahoma is not the fourth-best team in your country. They're number four in your rankings. You don't necessarily believe they're the fourth-best team in the country, but you believe they will finish fourth and get that last spot for the college football playoff. Going along that, what other teams in the top 25 or stretch it out a little bit beyond the top 25 you like are also like Oklahoma, ones that you believe aren't necessarily as good as their rankings suggest, even though they're number four. uh, They're predicted to reach the semifinal. They're not the fourth-best team in college football. What other teams fit that mold? You know, it's a it's a tricky process putting together the rankings, because as you mentioned, you have to look at path and projected record at the end of the season and also combine, you know, how good you think a team is at the end of the year. So we try to blend those two things together, our projected records and also just the kind of the neutral site test of, of how good we think teams are. You mentioned Oklahoma. That's the one that really jumped out to us in the process was, you know, we think you start looking at the top 10, you know, Penn State, Florida, Georgia, LSU, um, you know, possibly Oregon, Notre Dame, if the pieces fall into place. You know, Oklahoma is in that pack somewhere, but the path getting to 12 and one, 
being in the college football playoff, their path is is much more favorable than Georgia, where they have to go to Alabama, have to play Florida, and then, of course, the SEC championship if they win. Now, certainly, they could run the table, but our projections had um, Oklahoma at 12-1 and as the Big 12 champion, and that got them into the playoff. So that was kind of the biggest one when you start looking at potential um, discrepancies in path and, and power ranking. I think further down the list, you know, uh, I'm curious to see what happens, you know, with Wisconsin because they should be right there, uh, 10, 11 wins. You know, once again, they're ahead of some teams like Auburn, um, potentially Texas, Iowa State, uh, North Carolina. There are some teams in that. 11 through kind of 20 range that, you know, if a piece or two falls into place, including Wisconsin, you know, they could finish in the top 10. So I I guess to sum it up, you know, I think once you get outside the top 10, it is definitely more of a power ranking than when you get to the top four where you're trying to project, you know, the the, the top four seeds. And it's it's such a a tough process. So I, I think 11 uh, you know 11 through 130 much more power ranking driven but certainly you can find some teams where one thing falls into place uh, they could be uh you know 10 spots higher utah is a, is a great example of this we haven't finishing 36 but their schedule if the quarterback falls into place rebuilt defense we could see utah being a top 25 team in in kind of a bigger picture sense a lot of rankings are really tough because it's sort of you know, 27 and 40, there's not much difference. And you change a few W's and L's and then all of a sudden it's uh, it's it could look a lot different. Something that keeps bouncing around my head, really the only, I guess, positive no spring practice is no injuries. Really, we saw some minor ones with the teams that were able to practice, you know, once, twice, six, seven times. And, you know, we'll see if that that means more injuries, more muscle injuries come fall camp early part of the season but for now without spring practice we didn't see guys go down with ACLs with Achilles injuries but you know we did see one huge news coming this week with Justin Ross out for the season with that neck injury at Clemson does that change anything dramatically you have Clemson number one here or they're still number one let's say this injury happened you know two months ago before you guys finalized this three months ago or they would still be number one ahead of uh, ahead of Alabama even without Justin Ross It's a great question because not only is Clemson having to replace Justin Ross, they also lost T Higgins early to the NFL and they really need that second group of receivers to step up. Uh, Frank Ladson, uh, Amari Rogers, who was hurt at the start of last season, coming back from a torn ACL, got better, of course, as the year went on and, and should be even better this season. So the, the pieces around Trevor Lawrence, are kind of a, I guess they, not, not to say a mystery, but they do need some guys to step up. I think we, the the biggest thing for Clemson is you have to figure they probably have eight or nine games to figure this out. The, the Clemson is going to be favored by probably double digits in every game outside of the Notre Dame, uh, the, the road trip to South Bend. So they've got a lot of time to figure it out. They've got a lot of time to get comfortable I look at Braden Galloway, the tight end, as a potential sleeper, breakout player. I think Clemson is going to be fine this season. Would we change our pick? I think we would probably still pick Clemson. I do think when when we're looking at the contenders this season, 
it is a lot like last year where you have three teams who are really close together at the top and a drop off to that number four spot, which we had Oklahoma. So I think losing Justin Ross is significant. I think Clemson will be fine, but it probably narrows the gap a little bit between Alabama, Ohio State and Clemson even more like we thought those two, those three teams were really close and they're probably even closer now just because we have them on our All-America team, one of the top receivers in the country. So it, it will be an interesting storyline to see how that plays out this season. You know, I almost I had wrote the question down earlier today, and I almost didn't even ask it because of how you do your rankings. Like you said, predictive. You think Clemson will be number one at the end of the season. And, you know, going back to the schedule, like you said, even though, I mean, let's say somebody else is extremely high on Louisville, extremely high on Virginia, or playing some hypotheticals here, but... Yes, you said they have about eight games to figure it out before they get to Notre Dame, but even after Notre Dame, looking at that again, uh, Citadel, at Wake Forest, South Carolina, I mean, there's an argument there that those aren't even tests at all. Sure, could they stumble in Winston-Salem? Yeah, I guess. You know, we saw them stumble, almost stumble in Chapel Hill last year, so I, I guess they could. But even though you have eight games to figure it out, they only really have one game to, to kind of figure it out for, and then you're talking about, you know, three, four weeks before the playoff. Do you think that, I know you have Clemson one here at the end of the season. Do you truly believe that Clemson's the best team in college football, or you just think they'll be the one seed entering the playoff? This is an interesting debate because we spent a lot of time discussing one, two, and three, because if if Ohio State runs the table and finishes 13-0 and and wins at Oregon, at Penn State, beats Michigan, beats Wisconsin— that resume is probably good enough to be ahead of Clemson in the you know final uh, you know playoff going into the the playoff rankings. And we saw last year how important that number one seed was because LSU got Oklahoma, Clemson and, and Ohio State had to battle it out in, in the Fiesta Bowl. So I think getting to that number one seed is again important this year because you would get Oklahoma in theory in our rankings and we feel there's a drop off after that. I think Clemson is the best team. I also think they have the most favorable path. And when we were debating one through three and how to kind of order it, we eventually just settled on Clemson going into the playoff and post playoff almost because we know they have the most favorable path. Alabama's got to go to LSU. Ohio State's got to go to Penn State. You know, those two teams could go undefeated, but we just felt like Clemson had the most favorable path. And then we also just think at the end of the day, they are the best team in college football. You've mentioned these drop-offs and these almost pods and tiers. Um, where, I mean, go more into that. Where, where exactly are those drop-offs? You talk about the top three debating that a lot. Um, you know, is there a drop, another drop off within the top 10? I know you talked about like 11 Texas A&M through 20 Minnesota. Is there any sort of drop off in there? And then is there any significant drop off? I know the top 25 has always kind of been this, this arbitrary thing. And even though you rank all 130, uh, 130 teams, it's always kind of just been, well, what's the top 25? Is, is there any other major drop off either before the top 25 ends or right after where you guys said that this is a massive, massive drop off in quality of teams? That's a good question. You know, I, I think within the top 10, I think those teams five through 10, if you change a couple W's and L's, you know, if if Oregon finds a quarterback this year and the offense performs well uh, under new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, 
you know, maybe Oregon needs to be closer to five. You know, we felt like Florida and Georgia and LSU, who who we have neck and neck at, you know, six through eight, they could probably any of those teams could make an argument to be the number four team in terms of just overall strength. So I think anything four through 10 is pretty close. And I think after that is where you get into the question marks, Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher's third season. Can Kellen Mond take a step forward at quarterback, you know, Wisconsin, Auburn, Oklahoma State, Michigan. These are the teams where, you know, if one thing falls into place for Texas, it's an improved defense. Uh, For Michigan, it's the quarterback. If these things fall into place, you could see them finishing in the top 10. So I think that next tier of teams, 11 through probably 20, uh, with Minnesota being number 20, that's probably the the tier uh, of teams that that's after comes after the the LSU Georgia Notre Dame Oregon tier and i should kind of you know give a peek behind the curtain when we do the 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 rankings you know we kind of look at this in tiers and when we got outside the top 25 to to answer your question about where the drop off is you know i really felt that you know tennessee is 26, Baylor's 27, Memphis is 28, Miami's 29, Louisville's 30. You could make a case for any of those teams to finish in the top 25, even Utah at 36. So I think it's almost down to even Appalachian State, who we have finishing 42nd. You could make a case for any of those to finish in the top 25. Where I think the next drop-off is it's TCU, Virginia, Wake Forest. That's kind of that tier where we really didn't have them in consideration to be a top 25 team. They would need a lot to go uh, right this season. Then further down the list, you start getting into the uh, 70s and 80s, and that's where you start to see some really big drop-offs in teams. Yeah, looking back at it again, TCU 43, Virginia 44, Wake Forest 45, Kansas State 46, uh, then South Carolina, Mississippi State, Purdue, and Michigan State to round out the top 50. Going back to right outside of that that tier you mentioned, right outside of the 11 to 20 tier, you guys have three group of five teams stacked. I always look for these different trends. Like you were just talking about Appalachian State. They're stacked right alongside uh, Louisiana, 41 and 42. One of the stacks that sticks out is that group of five stack, 21 through 23, Cincinnati, UCF, and Boise State. And you know, with those schedule, I think that all three have a very, very real chance to go undefeated. I'm not going to call them, you know, soft schedules. There, there is a little bit of challenge there, especially in the American, and depending on what you think of the Mountain West. But it seems very realistic that any of those three teams, or you know, Cincinnati or UCF, and then Boise State could go undefeated. Uh, not sure if you know their schedules by heart or if you have them readily available here. But of those three, again, Cincinnati, UCF, and Boise State, the three top-ranked group of five teams. Who do you think is most likely to go undefeated in the regular season? I think it's probably Boise State. And this is something that, you know, after production, we always look at one or two things. And, you know, we kind of have a conversation of maybe we should have looked at this a little bit closer. We think Cincinnati, UCF, Boise State, Memphis, and Louisiana and Appalachian State, they could all finish, you know, any of those could finish in the AP top 25 at the end of the year. But you almost wonder if the American has too many good teams. You know, Memphis is 28, UCF uh, 22, and Cincinnati 21 by our rankings. It's a good problem to have. 
But you also wonder if there's a chance where they might just beat each other up, opening the door for Boise State, even if they lose at Wyoming, even if they lose to Air Force, even if they lose to Florida State in Boise. Getting to 12-1 and would probably put Boise State in the pole position to be the top-ranked group of five team. So the American is the best group of five conference, but Boise State, considering how, how good Cincinnati, UCF, and Memphis should be, if they kind of beat each other up, Boise State's got, the, the, the to me, the, the most favorable path. I mean, each of these teams have obstacles to overcome. Cincinnati's got to go to Nebraska, also has to go to UCF. UCF opens... Uh, with North Carolina. So there are obstacles, but you kind of wonder if Boise State is, you know, looking at the rankings, it, you have to go a long way to get to to the next team, which is Wyoming at 64 and Air Force at 65. So Boise State's got a considerable edge within the conference, and they also get their toughest non-conference game, Florida State at home. There were a couple times last year where another guest and I, we talked about comparing the American to the Pac-12, you know, either top to bottom or the top half to the top half. And looking again at your rankings, I mean, yeah, you you have Oregon up there at 10, you have USC at 19, but then you go over to the American and it's three straight from the American, Cincinnati 21, UCF 22, Memphis 28. So you actually have three American ranked higher than three Pac-12. This is kind of a tough question to answer, especially right now without spring practice and so many uncertainties, but is the top half of the American, and cut it, cut it wherever you want. I'm mean, you know, 11-team conference. You can cut it after I see you have Tulane at 5, at Houston at 6. Is the top half of the American right now a better conference than the top half of the Pac-12? Man, that's a great question. I, I, I probably would still take the Pac-12 only because I think Oregon will figure it out at quarterback this year. They've got a pretty good track record of replacing quarterbacks, and Oregon's defense is outstanding. You know, we think about Oregon, it's offense, but it's actually their defense this year that's going to be the the lead group for that team. We also have USC. We've got them at 19. I think they'll be better this year. And to kind of go back to our argument about tiers, you know, we've got Arizona State, Cal, Washington, Utah, all in the top 40. And really, we talked about all those teams as potential top 25 contenders. You know, they all have question marks, but they could also finish in the top 25, too. So I I still think when it comes to comparing conference strength as a whole and, you know, I I know you asked me about the just the top specifically, the American is very top heavy. You know, the, the middle of the conference this season, Houston, Tulane, Navy, Temple, they all have some question marks. Certainly it is a that trio at the top. And throw SMU in there, who who we have finishing 53. That's a pretty good top four uh, for the American coming into the season. That's why I think the, the question becomes more interesting when you take the top half. Uh, a couple more things for you. Going up the rankings a little bit, number 14 Oklahoma State is the one that I'm really fixated on this year. Really, I mean, I'm trying to do as much Oklahoma State coverage as possible, seeing where people see them at. It's been really, really hard to temper my expectations for the game. Again, you have them at 14, second in the Big 12, two spots ahead of Texas at 16, three spots ahead of uh, Iowa State, I believe, at 17. How comfortable are you with them at 14? Could you have had them higher than that? I think we could have. We had a very lengthy and very spirited debate about the second-place team in the Big 12. I think of the three people that I asked about this in, in at, at Athlon— 
we got three different answers. Um, one of us liked Iowa State. One of us liked Texas. And I like Oklahoma State. I mean, 19 returning starters. This is a Mike Gundy team that looks like it's capable of getting to that second place spot in the Big 12. I, I don't think they can beat Oklahoma twice. But, you know, they just need to get to probably 10 and 2. And with some of the question marks at Texas, Iowa State's got some offensive line concerns coming into this year. Oklahoma State, to me, has the the best chance of being that second best team. Loaded on offense, Tylen Wallace is back. They get Texas at home and basically what could be a, a play-in game for the Big 12 championship to play Oklahoma in the last uh, week of the season. So I like this Oklahoma State team, and I think they'll be better on defense just with the amount of returning talent that they have. They've got the pieces on offense, and if they're just a little bit better on defense, I think they can get to that second-place spot. I, I do think Texas is the one team that is the hardest team to figure out because we've got them finishing 16th. Sam Ellinger, they're going to put up points provided they can find receivers. The question mark, I think, is without spring practice, not knowing what we're going to have in the fall when you have two new coordinators, a lot of changes on the staff, you know, there was a lot of youth, a lot of turnover on defense last year. They should be better, but there are a lot of question marks about Texas. So I think Oklahoma State right now with returning personnel, improvement on defense, loaded offense, and they get the game in Stillwater, I think this is the second best team in the Big 12. And I think to your question, you know, if they get to 10 and 2, 11 wins, I mean, that puts them right there in top 10 territory. Before we press record here, we were reminiscing about, I think we talked last year, maybe a week or two before the season started, we made a whole bunch of random predictions. Among them, I asked you who would be USC head coach one year from today. And we both said very confidently that Dino Babers would be USC head coach. And obviously we were just a little bit off on that. Clay Helton back to, to both of our surprise, I think the surprise of most people across the country. They bring back a ton of people. Todd Orlando uh, coming over. He didn't have the spring practice, so we'll see if he can actually fix the offense there. You have them at 19. How comfortable at, at 19 do you feel about them? Not comfortable at all. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, they are a hard team, much like Texas, to figure out because on paper, you can make an argument for them to be higher. Keaton Slovis, great receiving core, a lot of talent coming back on defense, but their defense has underachieved in recent years. And without a spring practice and, of course, not knowing what we're going to have in the fall, what does that mean for that group and in, in trying to transition to a first-year coordinator? So much like Texas, they are kind of a mystery team. They certainly have the pieces and, and personnel to finish much higher. I also think one of the reasons why we like USC is the rest of the division. I mean, Colorado's we is in Arizona are at the bottom. Arizona State is getting better, and I like Jaden Daniels a lot. But they've got some question marks. Utah won the division back-to-back -back years. But they have they lose a ton of talent off of last year's team. So I think it, knowing what we've seen out of USC, it's kind of fair to have some uh, you know doubts about whether or not they can finish in the top 25 and live up to that potential. But I also think when you start looking around the division, USC finished 7-2 and two in the Pac-12 last year, which was good enough to be second. 
And with all the other changes and losses at other teams, it just seems like USC should be the best team this year. So we have some concerns and we have some doubts, but I think the path and I think the roster suggests that USC should win the division this year. Yeah, and that Clay Helton watch, which is going to be on all season, to get really interesting early. Again, opening the season uh, against Alabama at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. You know, Is that something where if they get blasted, we're going to be sitting here saying that he should be gone right away if they only lose by 14 points? Um, it's going to be really interesting. All right, Stephen, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. I uh, would love to have you back later this summer. Really appreciate it. Hey, Andrew, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. 